Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us. It's another beautiful Thursday morning, which means it's another beautiful day to talk about the golden era of professional wrestling, the 1980s. And today, we're revisiting a topic that we, that we covered over 120 episodes ago. Well, actually, about 119 episodes ago, the very first episode of this podcast, back before we took live phone calls, we covered the greatest feuds of Hulkamania, Hulk Hogan's greatest feuds of the 80s, and we had some listeners reach out and say, now that you're taking callers, we'd love to give our two cents and our input into this topic of conversation. So this morning, we are running wild on this episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and as always, I sit across from the man who has the largest arms in New Jersey, brother, Tommy Fierro. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? You couldn't have said it any better yourself, Jumpin' Jay. The largest promoting arms in New Jersey, brother. <laughs> All kidding I aside, it. I thought I thought I was hoping, I was hoping that you, because you always have a nickname for me, and I was trying to think of the nickname you were going to call me for this episode of Eighties Wrestling the podcast. I could have sworn. You said the immortal Tommy Fierro. I was I was hoping for that, and I'm a little. I mean, I, I love the biggest arms in New Jersey. I might have the I have the biggest something in New Jersey. I don't know if it's the arms, but uh, how are you today? I'm excited for this episode because, yeah, like you said, it was our first ever episode that we ever did here on the podcast when we first started it out, and there wasn't callers back then. So now that we have callers, and I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot of the same answers, and and that's fine because. I want to get their perspective on it. Like for me personally, you know, we, we, we've mentioned this a hundred times in the, in the, in the past, my all time favorite Hulk Hogan angle is when Paul Orndorff turned on Hulk Hogan and went with Bobby Heenan. Probably the most famous ones obviously are the Andre the Giant and Macho Man ones. I mean, both of those stories were absolutely done to perfection back then. They didn't do a storyline in, in a week or two weeks. And that was a year build much like they're doing with this bloodline storyline now. And I think that's why it's captivating today's generation and, and holding their attention because today's generation is not used to storylines that play out for a long period of time. And that was one of the keys to Hulk Hogan's greatest feuds and rivalries back then, which we're going to talk about here on the podcast today. And anyone out there listening that wants to call in and join the conversation, it's 516 595 295. Once again, that's 516-595-8295. Real quickly before we jump into the calls. Uh, yeah, so back then, like, and same thing with Piper. Hogan had a, a long historic feud with Piper, which, you know, exploded in WrestleMania 1. And, uh, you know, the war to settle the score on MTV. So, I mean, that was a extremely um, important feud as well. Maybe the most important of all for the Hulkamania character, because without that initial feud with Piper during that WrestleMania 1 MTV boom period, uh, Piper played a huge part in uh, making the fans love Hulk Hogan even more. So, I mean, you got that one, the Savage and Andre ones are gigantic, year built on both. So, yeah, I, I think that, you know, he's had a lot of big feuds and a lot of big matches and memories and moments, but being able to, to tell a story for a, a long period of time uh, helps any story, especially when we're talking about the greatest views of Hulk Hogan. I'm interested in hearing what everyone thinks, and I'm before you jump in, I'm interested in hearing what you think, Jumpin' Jack. Well, it's going to be a great conversation because the WWF did things just a little bit differently. You know, the NWA was famous for having a heel champion and that babyface chase where the crowd gets behind the good guy and he tries to win the belt and he fails and he tries to win the belt and he fails and he finally goes over and it's a huge celebration. The World Wrestling Federation kind of did the flip side of that coin. They had a babyface champion, but then you'd have to build up these monster heels that were a legitimate threat for the title and then the crowd would be cheering their champion to defend that belt. And so at this period of time in the golden era, once Hulk Hogan, the Iron Sheik, and captured the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Championship, we were off to the races. Hogan needed big, bad villains that he could overcome, that the crowd could get behind him and want to see him beat. And so for, for the, the, the first part of my wrestling fandom from a young boy, that was the pattern. Who was going to be the big heel 
trying to knock Hulk Hogan off the mountaintop? Who was finally going to do what they said they would do and put an end to Hulkamania? And so you always seen it the next biggest and baddest dude. And there were some amazing, amazing feuds with Hulk Hogan during this time. I would say if I had to put on, oh man, I'm going to be, it's going to be close here. But let's just say I was locked into watching, rewatching one feud for the rest of time. Which one would I want to see over and over again on a loop? And I don't know if I can do this with an asterisk, but my, my initial thought is I would love to see the Macho Man Hulk Hogan feud over and over again because I thought it was beautifully done, stretched out over a long period of time, a slow burn, a big build, emotional, had Miss Elizabeth. like It was just a thing of beauty. My asterisk, the one that maybe I can sneak in if Tommy lets me, is can I just do the whole Bobby Heenan family? Because Bobby Heenan was always out to end Hulkamania. Okay, so I would say Hogan and Heenan, that feud, because it involved different villains, different bad guys, was one that I could watch over and over again. But if I just had to pick one opponent, I think this morning I would go with Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, I would too. I mean, even though Piper, I mean, not Piper, um, even though Orndorff's my favorite angle ever, I, I'd have to go with, with, with the, the Savage one as well. We talked just about this last week about how Elizabeth didn't get the credit she deserved for the unbelievable, unbelievably major part she played in that whole angle because all she had to do was just look a certain way or, you know, sound her face for five seconds, and that fucking place would go bonkers. I mean, she her, she didn't have to say anything, like, her facials and her, her uh, body movements and motions did everything and said everything. So, yeah, man, that's probably my favorite storyline, too, because any guy can relate to your best friend hitting on your girlfriend or your wife or whatever the situation may be. It's kind of like when you were up here back in May, Jumpin' Jay, and I was giving a little bit of attention on the side to the Stromboli sisters. You got a little jealous. I understand that because you figured, like, I'm your tag team partner, and you don't want to see me uh, showing love to somebody else other than yourself. So I get it. I understand. Exactly. That's exactly. You could see it in my eyes. You could see it in my eyes when you were over there in the corner talking to the Stromboli sisters. How are they doing, by the way, before we jump into the slam line? They good? They're, 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 they're making some Strombolis as we speak. They have a lunch truck called the Stromboli sisters, and they drive around all the – factories and warehouses in New Jersey and so all different kinds of yummy scrumptious strombolis. I believe uh, today's uh, special stromboli is called the humble stromboli and I know certain people are eating that today and, and enjoying it. Listen man if you're joking you shouldn't be because that's a million dollar idea you need to get on that uh, if they don't have a food truck they definitely need one. The slam line is packed to talk about Hulk Hogan's greatest feuds. We're going to jump in, hear from some callers, then we'll continue uh, this conversation as well. Up first on the Slam Line, up early this morning, all the way out in Chico, California, it's Babyface Brian. Brian, good morning, sir. Welcome to the conversation. Good morning, Jay, and good morning, Tommy. Uh, Fun talk that uh, we haven't had to, we haven't gone over, although we've talked about uh, a lot of this stuff off and on. It's, uh, It's cool that you guys are covering it today. It's a big topic. Oh, yeah, man, man absolutely. Yeah. And when, when Tommy and I settled on it and I sent him the graphic this morning, he just replied in all capital letters, yes, with exclamation points, because which fan of the Golden Era doesn't enjoy talking about Hulk Hogan? Definitely. And uh, I'll touch on what you guys have talked about with uh, Randy Savage. There was the um, There's a nice arc that goes from before his days as the Intercontinental Champion and right up to when he was the Intercontinental Champion and he wore the the Hulk Who shirt, which was so great, and, you know, uh, basically uh, inserted himself in the world title picture as as IC champ and then uh, circled back uh, later on down the line with the whole Mega Powers exploding. So they had this nice, you know, career arc where they – they, they touched off in 85, 86, um, and then circled back to it in 89. So I love that that part of it. Uh, when you're talking about Bobby Heenan, they had a similar uh, rivalry where they, they actually had, I want to say they started back in AWA. I think Heenan was the manager of Nick Bockwinkle when uh, 
when Hulk was having the uh, the, the dusty finish, they call it, although that, he wasn't Dusty Rhodes wasn't in AWA, but uh, where they they thought that he won the title from Nick Bockwinkle, only to have uh, I want to say it was Stanley Blackburn, the AWA uh, president at the time, overturn it after the fact and say no that there was a uh, a DQ and and Hulk wasn't the champ. So you know Vince hires the top manager in wrestling and the top. Uh, uh, future draw on wrestling Hulk Hogan away from AWA and they continue on through in the WWF. So uh, kind of cool. These, uh, these, these long-term feuds that Hulk had that even went from promotion to promotion. And, and I'll agree with Tommy, my favorite all time is uh, as far as nostalgia is just the Paul Orndorff feud, just starting in with uh, my fandom. That was the big one that uh, caught my attention was the summer of 86 when uh, Orndorff and Hogan had their, their feud and extended that to the big event, Saturday night's main event, and wrapped it back around to Saturday night's main event. So uh, the, the Hulk storyline was always central to uh, uh, 1984 to basically 1992, and it was something that uh, that kept us all watching. And whether we were Hulkamaniacs or we just liked watching wrestling, that was the central figure is whoever Hulk was, uh, was focused on. Uh, and I'll throw one other in there. When, in, that's uh, from Orndorff. He went right to uh, Kamala on the house show circuit and mm. Kamala didn't get uh, paid as much as uh, some of the other guys reportedly for, for doing the same uh, shows. So that's unfortunate, but it's also interesting that those two big feuds of Orndorff and Kamala, those are the two guys left off of the biggest, uh, arguably the biggest card in history at WrestleMania three, where both guys uh, obviously deserved it, uh, deserved to be there. But uh, Orndorff possibly as a backup in case Andre couldn't go. And, and who knows why they, they left Kamala off the card. So that's my long-winded uh, Hulk Hogan uh, feud uh, memories rant for the morning. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. Hey, Babyface Brian, real quick before you sign off real quick. So, Obviously, you were a Hogan fan growing up, and what was your, and I'm sure that you probably had a lot of Hulk Hogan merchandise when you were a kid, what's the one thing that stands out to you, the first thing that you think of, you remember when you had a piece of Hulk Hogan's uh, merchandise, possibly the LGNs, I know you're real big in the LGNs, and, or was it a shirt, Definitely. a magazine, a poster? No, it's it's definitely the LGN. I mean, having that thing uh, in your hand, that uh, that iconic, uh, the the LJN action figure. That's that's the one. If you're going to say if there's one figure that every kid that uh, had wrestling action figures in that era wanted and and had, it would be that original Hulk Hogan LJN that could body slam pretty much anyone in the line and came with the black. Uh, title belt. Uh, it, it's definitely the, the LJN. And, and when I'm repainting them, that one, uh, that one's a, a nice one. That's a fairly simple to do with the, uh, not a lot of paint to remove before you replace it with uh, brand new paint and either go no holds barred look or, or go with just, you know, laces on the boots or something. So definitely the Hulk Hogan LJN. I'm sure that's the one that's hard to keep in stock at the wrestling collector. Oh, yeah, they fly, even the loose ones, they fly out of here. It doesn't even matter what even the condition is on them. Anything like that goes right out. But, hey, man, thank you so much for chiming in, and we look forward to catching you next week on the podcast, brother. Definitely. You guys have a great weekend, and as always, it's good talking to you. You guys take care. You too, man. Thank you, you so too, much. Brian. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, real, that, real, real quick, Jay, before we go to the next call, I want to I want to give an honorable mention, and I know that, it's probably if you list, you know, the top five or even the top ten feuds of Hogan's entire career, uh, this probably might not make it. But I want to give it an honorable mention only because of um, Brian just bringing it up. Uh, no holds barred. Uh, the match, the movie, Zeus. He played mm. a great role as an antagonist and a heel for Hogan. I remember as a kid. Uh, I, I remember like it was yesterday. I was. I remember it so well. Like I remember it was on my. The back, I was in the back of my dad's pickup truck. Back then, for some reason, in New Jersey, you can drive in the back of a pickup truck open on the highway. And I'm with my brother, and we, we went, to, went to the movies, and we watched No Holds Barred. And I just remember being so scared because even though it was a movie, this big, huge monster. Now, 
when he went from the movies and then he showed up in the WWF, I remember when he showed up in the WWF, Jay, as a kid, I shit my pants. I'm like, oh, no, he's, that's the guy from the movie. He's now coming into our, he's coming into our world. He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna destroy our hero. I remember feeling that way as a kid. Uh, and I want to get your, your take on that as well, because I was scared shitless as a kid when Zeus showed up from the movies to real life. I thought that was it for Hulkamania at the time. Yeah, you know, that's what the World Wrestling Federation was great at, getting young fans to believe that this is the guy that's going to end Hulk Hogan, that's going to finally bury and put six feet under Hulkamania. And Zeus, man, if if you could just design a scary pro wrestler in a laboratory, it might have been the look that they gave Zeus. Now, as kids, you know, we're not... We're not up to speed behind the scenes realizing that he's an actor and that his wrestling ability is suspect. But when they, the way they portrayed him, where he could just raise his arms above Hogan and bang him down on Hogan's traps and that Hogan would crumble down to a knee, it was 100% believable as a young fan. And you thought, this is it. And then when you had Macho Man, who, you know, he's always been out to get Hulk Hogan, team up and try to harness the power of Zeus. Yeah, we, we thought that Hulkamania was definitely in jeopardy. And what a stroke of marketing genius to have the crossover with the movie and then bring it into a match. And had Zeus had a little bit more in-ring ability, they would have done much more with him. But in my opinion, when I was that age, he didn't need in-ring ability. I think it would have been weird if Zeus would have started putting on wrist locks and chin locks. You know, you expected him just to get in there and just be the guy from the movie, somebody who just hits punches and slams and that's what he did and so again i yeah i don't think it's going to make anybody's top 10 greatest pro wrestling feuds as, as far as in-ring matchup but man just from a pure publicity standpoint and just how they showcase it to us it's definitely worth that honorable mention tommy absolutely man let's jump back into the uh, wrestling collector slam line all right next up on the slam line it is firefighter brian good morning sir welcome to the conversation good morning gentlemen how are you doing very good morning. well how are you, how are sir? you? i can't complain hey you know um listen, i i was i'm really glad that you guys are doing this resurrecting going back to uh i said this last week going back to topics that you did before you took calls and put a little spin on it um like you said tommy Everybody's more or less going to say the same thing. And I listened to that show, the first show you ever did. And so just to make it a little interesting, I'll do what I did last week. I'll do my uh, top five uh, Hogan feuds of all time. Number five is a feud that nobody's brought up yet. And maybe it's because it's a 90s feud, but that's uh, Hollywood Hogan in the NWO against WCW. And, you know, uh, Tommy, you know, you're big on drawing ability when it comes to lists, Hall of Fames, Mount Rushmore, whatever. You're big on drawing ability. I'm more on influence, you know, uh, game changers. And I think but one's just as important as the other. These, my five feuds did both of those. And with the NWO, for those who think, want to call Austin the greatest, the biggest name in the history of the business, I won't necessarily agree with you. I won't argue with you either, but for those who want to say that, Hogan did something Austin couldn't do. He made a transitional turn to being not only a heel, but the biggest heel in the business at his age when everybody thought he was done. It resurrected his career, and it resurrected WCW. It did something that nobody thought would ever be possible. It gave Vince a run for his money. Uh, number four, I would say the Macho Man. Real, real, real quick, Brian, ahead, Brian ahead, real quick. Ahead, not, only, not only did he give that, I mean, first of all, you're 100% right. It doesn't, even though it's the 80s podcast, we're talking about Hogan's greatest feud, obviously uh, the feud of him and Sting, WCW against NWO is, is up there. It has to be up there. But you're right about um, as far as he didn't, he didn't just give Hulk, he didn't give Vince a run for his money. I mean, they were beating WWE for 80-something weeks. So, I mean, yeah, that, that's huge, huge. Good point, and it doesn't have to be 80s related just for any callers on hold. But, yeah, it right. has to be up there, 
Ab- absolutely. They beat the hell out of WWF. I wouldn't say staying only because that payoff match had such a horrific finish, but NWO, WCW, <laughs> that's my number five. Number four, I'll say Macho Man, and not only because of the Mega Powers, which was just a beautifully written, well-told storyline, but even before they were the Mega Powers, even before that, I thought their earlier stuff in 85, 86, around WrestleMania two. I was at a uh, house show at the Coliseum, and the place was going nuts. Um, So that's number four. Number three, I would say Piper. And when you think about it, the the Hogan Piper that everybody talks about, mid-'80s, WWF, it was was short-lived. They didn't feud for that long. But I put them at number three because of how influential it was. It was the main event of WrestleMania. Piper to, is probably still saying up there, he went to his grave saying, the day flood the garden to see Hogan, or to see Hogan be, beat up me. And it was, again, a very well done storyline and feud that brought a lot of money and was very influential. Number two, I got to say Andre, because even Mm. though the matches were far from five-star classics, they're lucky if they got three stars, okay? Think about it. Is there a match, a single match in the history of wrestling that produced more iconic? You have the stare down. You have uh, Hogan hoking up while Andre's giving him the, the, the bear hug. How many magazine covers did that make? And then, of course, you have the body slam, all right? So, and a lot of just iconic images in just one match. And then number one, I'm really happy, Tommy. I agree with you. This is a feud that, forget about underrated, it's not even talked about. Oh, I have to say Orndorff at number one. Only good. Mm. It was entertaining as hell, number one. I love the turn. It came out of nowhere. He aligns with Heenan, who had a hard-on for Hogan from day one. Okay. It was it was a lot of um, a lot of action, a great cage match on Saturday night's main event. I loved how they hit the uh, the, the the floor at the same time, but also here's where here's why it's so important. This was the feud that gave after the idea for feud of the year in PWI. Of all the feuds in wrestling, this hmm. was the feud that said, you know, we have to have a feud of the year award. And I loved how he came at the big event. Big event doesn't get talked about. It should, because that showed that WWF has drawing and selling and staying power outside of the United States. And that was the feud that had the match that headlined it. And I loved how you talk about just good pro wrestling. Orndorff comes out, Hogan's song. You talk about just an easy way to get the fans to hate your guts. What, 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 do, you, what do you guys think about it? I know I said a lot, but what do you guys Think about what I said. All very valid points in my in my opinion, man. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I think your 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 top five is it's hard to argue with. You know, when you talk when you lead off with the NWO and you talk about Hogan, like you said, who people at that point were ready to write off. You know, it said that he played his part in pro wrestling and he's gonna write off to the sunset to really totally reinvent yourself, go a hundred percent against the grain and just reignite uh, your career. You could argue that Hulk Hogan could go down in history as one of the greatest, uh, if not the greatest babyface, and if not the greatest heel for his run in the NWO. And then, you know, Andre the Giant, Paul Orndorff, everybody you said, just tremendously well-told story, savage. And the thing I always come back to with the Hogan feuds in this era early on is it was a common, kind of a common thread is to have a friend of Hogan turn to a foe of Hogan that kind of betrayal was a common storyline that they went back to again and again. And it never failed to capture your attention and to make you invest it in the product. I'll tell you, Jay, with the exception of Shawn Michaels uh, turning on Marty Jannetty, that's one of the best blind sides I ever saw in wrestling. And, um, you know, I know I said a lot. I know you got people calling, so I'm going to ask a question and I'll get off and I'll let you, it's for you, Tommy. And I'm sure you're going to get to this later. Um, listen, I wish uh, Rick Recon all, not the absolute best in whatever he's going through, and I hope he comes back very soon. Okay, I want to ask you this. I'm not necessarily complaining. I'm sure there's a reason for it. 
you're not the only one that's done this. But back in, I think it was 98, Shane Douglas hurt his arm horrifically. He had a, a, a brace the whole nine yards. And he defended his title one last time against Al Snow, and everybody thought Snow was going to beat him. And I, they're not going to give the title to Snow, okay? He kept, Heyman had him keep the title during his injury, and when he was medically cleared, he came back and defended it again, okay? Why do they, why do promoters, because you spent all this time, and it, we just have horrific luck as wrestling fans. You see this all the time in the wrestling. They spent all this time, built, you know, with the chase and, you can finally get the title, and then you get a horrible injury, or you get some, you know, something like with with what Rick is going on. Why let him keep the title? Why not let him keep the title and you know defend it when he's ready to come back? Then have him relinquish it and do a tour. I'm I'm just curious. I'm just curious what your take is, gentlemen. Have a good one. I'll talk to you next week. I hope. Thanks, man. And I'll answer that before we get to the next call for what uh, he's talking about. Uh, it was announced two days back, uh, ISW heavyweight champion Rick Recon is uh, stepping away uh, for a few months for uh, personal reasons. And, and you know, it, it, it's not it's, – a lot of times as a promoter, the best way I can say this is a lot of times you're thrown uh, curveballs, uh, uh, could be balls you think is going to be a touchdown pass, and then you have to – run 30 miles to the right to catch it. A lot of times uh, people don't know what goes on behind the scenes and, you know, you don't know everyone's situation. But first of all, I, I, I wish uh, Rick Recon nothing but the best. He was a, was a, has been a huge part of ISPW, um, has to step away for personal reasons and respect his privacy and, and, and well-being. And he did a great job with the title and, uh, here's the thing. I'm, I'm a I'm a promoter, so like I, the, for me, the ISPW Heavyweight Title is everything in my promotion. Uh, to be the ISW Heavyweight Champion, I center everything around that title. So for me personally, as a promoter, I wouldn't want to have you know there and then take you know take the summer off, and when you come back, you come back and and and, and hope you're well. Of course, I hope he's well. But at the same token, uh, it's business and. I can't have a belt that is centered around my company and I put everything, all the, you know, the glistening glamour and the meaning of the promotion behind that title. I just can't have that title sitting on a shelf when there's a locker room full of guys that are dying for an opportunity like that and, and to be the champion. So for me personally, um, the title is the most important thing. Um, so with that being said, we decided to do a, eight-man tournament next Friday in West Milford, New Jersey. It's going to be called the ISPW Heavyweight Title Tournament. And I've always wanted to do a, a, a title tournament. My, my, whole, my whole life, I, just never, I never had, had an opportunity to or found the reason to. I, I, I look back fondly when Dennis Corluzzo did the NWA Heavyweight Title Tournament back in 1994 that Chris Candido uh, won the finals of that. And I was just always a fan of, of tournaments. So you, and I, I told you, Jay, one of my favorite tournaments was back in the day for WrestleMania 4. That's still one of my favorite WrestleManias. I absolutely love that WrestleMania because of that tournament aspect. And I brought back the tournament aspect last year with the king of ISPW, which, lo and behold, Rick Recon won that. So I, I'm a fan of the tournaments. Uh, I think it's. I think it really throws a monkey wrench into ISW in general. Like you don't know what's going to happen now in ISW. Anything can happen, and uh, it's going to be again next Friday, July seventh. It's going to be in West Milford at St. Joseph's Church Parish Hall. It's going to be the first round matches is Bull James, who's a former ISW heavyweight champion, against Justin Carino, who is also a former ISPW heavyweight champion. Uh, and then they're tied in with the bracket with Joey Ace, who is this year's Super 8 champion. He won the Super 8 tournament this year. So he he's fresh off of having experience winning a Super 8 with a tournament style. Uh, he's going against TJ Epics. And then the other uh, two brackets is going to be Crowbar against Richard Holiday, which is 
a fantastic, looks like a main event match in the first round of the of the tournament. And Leo Sparrow against Vinny Pacifico in the other opening round match. And right there, I mean, any one of those guys, uh, in my opinion, is capable of winning the tournament. And I think that it's going to keep people guessing. It's going to keep people on their toes. It's going to keep people excited. So it's turning a negative situation into into a positive one. Um, because, again, uh, God forbid – Roman Reigns can go down hurt and injured today, and what are they going to do? They have to have a backup plan. As much as you're going to, as much as you're going to be pissed off and, and bitch that fuck Roman's the guy, what are we going to do? We just we just spent the last five years building him up right to this moment, and now he's injured. Like, you got You got to have as a promoter, like for me, and I, I think I said this on the in the past two J. Like when my back's up against the wall, it's when I work best. Uh, I like because there's been times where last second, you know, guys have to cancel off or. A, you know, a big name guy misses his flight or something gets fucked up and you just you always have to you always have to be ready for the the next thing. So like I work best, dude, when my back's up against the wall. So uh just I know it was rambling and we're not talking about Hulk Hogan right now, which we, we should be, but that was the answer. So anyone that wants to get tickets, they're available now at ISPWWrestling.com. Nice plug in in, in between all that. Listen, man, you, you got to be able to roll with the punches. And doing a tournament style is very cool. And it ties in. It, like you said, WrestleMania four, the tournament bracket. Hogan was in there. Hogan was in there, dude. And so uh, it brings us right back to the greatest feuds of Hulk Hogan. But, yes, uh, the whole 80s wrestling podcast family, which is Rick Recon, the absolute best in the world. And then uh, we can't wait to see who comes out this weekend as the new ISPW heavyweight wrestling champion we're going to jump back into the slam line now we got it just packed people love talking about hulk hogan and his feuds and up next from butler new jersey it's danny danny good morning brother welcome to the conversation tommy jumping jay always a pleasure tremendous topic uh you know a lot of the callers before me they you know they they hit it right on the head the nail on the head you know you talk about you know you nailed down all the great feuds at hulkamania had uh, during the 80s, I even, you know, even uh, into the 90s, um, you know, all these guys put up tremendous points. You know, I always, you know, uh, Babyface Brian, he kind of stole my thunder a bit, you know, when he brings up Randy Savage. You talk about a few that kind of started in, you know, end of 85, early in, into 86. He wins the Inter- Intercontinental Championship. And, you know, not, you know, not even, you know, not even a month or so into his reign, you know, he's already shifting his focus on Hogan, you know, with the, you know, he's, he's wearing the tank top, you know, Hulk who, you know, he's on Tuesday night Titans, you know, uh, you know, you know, talking about Hogan, he's not even thinking about being the intercontinental champion, but like I said, that was, that uh, kind of sowed the seeds to what would, you know, go into, uh, you know, one of the great feuds in uh, 89, you know, during the breakup of the mega powers. Um, obviously Roddy Piper, you know, you're not going to probably have, you know, Hulk Hogan without Roddy. I always said a long time ago, you, you can't have a great superhero without a great villain. And, mm-hmm. you know, without Piper, you know, who knows if uh, Hogan really, you know, takes off to the, to the you know, great heights that he was able to accomplish. Um, you look at uh, the feud with, you know, obviously Andre, you know, you know, you talk about the biggest main event wrestling history at WrestleMania three, you know, all the great iconic, you know, the moments and, uh, photos that firefighter Brian mentioned, you know, with the stare down, the bear hug, obviously the body slam, you know, it was a tremendous feud, but, um, you know, to be honest, you know, how many times did they, you know, were they actually able to work together due to Andre's health at the time, you know, you go, mm-hmm. you figure, you know, they wrestled at WrestleMania three, but they really, you know, I don't think they even got into the ring till I think Andre left for a while and didn't come back to the survivor series. So you're talking about, almost eight, nine months that he wasn't around. So, you know, even though you knew he was lurking, they really didn't have that much time to work. Um, you know, I'm going to kind of throw in uh, one that nobody mentioned. You know, how could you forget the, the feud with the big boss man? You know, in the 88, he gets attacked on the Brother Love show. He gets handcuffed. He gets beaten with the, you know, with the nightstick. And, you know, who could forget that? great cage match on Saturday night's main event when, you know, Hogan suplexes him off the top of the cage. I think that was a, a tremendous feud. Obviously, 
big boss fan being part of the, the the twin towers and that you know eventually led to the end of the mega powers um another one that i'm going to bring up and uh i think it's probably not talked about maybe a little more underrated you have to talk about the feud he had with earthquake you know that was you know it, i think it, that kind of started maybe towards the end of 89 and into you know obviously it uh it hit right after WrestleMania six, you know, who could have ever forget the attack on the brother love show, you know, uh, earthquake, uh, taking him out of commission. And, you know, as a, as a kid at that time, you really think, you know, are you ever going to see Hogan again, which led to the, you know, tugboat run, running his campaign of, you know, writing, you know, to Hogan getting well, you know, I, I know, I think I have to have that eight by 10 that he sent out to the fans, uh, you know, thanking him you know, for writing to him. So you, I think that's a very underrated feud. You know, you know, obviously they wrestled at SummerSlam '90. Um, that they kind of co-main co- evented that that um, that uh, event. Uh, I think that was also a tre- tremendous feud. Um, the Orndorff feud, like I said, you talk about you know drama. You know, the, the, such a great heel turn on the part of Paul Orndorff, and you know, obviously you're gonna throw in you know a lot of those guys. The, the, the common denominator, Bobby Heenan, without a doubt, obviously. You can't have Hogan feuds without Bobby Heenan being part of it and trying to chase that title, as as you always did. So um, I know there's probably, you know, I know you got a guys in like another 27 minutes. I'm going to let everybody else get their uh, opinions in. Uh, like I said, you guys, thank you every week for giving us the opportunity, the platform to talk about the, the best moments in uh, the golden era of professional wrestling. Thank you, Danny, man. I can't, yeah, I can't argue with any of that. I love the earthquake feud. That's, that's definitely in my top 10. It might even, it might even break the top five if I really had to structure it intentionally, but I love the earthquake feuds. Boss man, of course. Uh, Tommy, were you there when he, were you there, Tommy, at that brother love taping? I wasn't there, but let me jump in real quickly because you just brought up a really good point about that earthquake feud. I actually love that feud too. Now, I want to ask both of you guys a question and tell me uh, how I would answer this as a promoter. Why did I love that Hulk Hogan as a promoter? Say I'm Vince McMahon, say I'm WWE. Why did I love that Hulk Hogan uh, earthquake feud so much and how valuable that feud was for the the company, I want to see if either one of you guys answer, and then I'll give you my answer. Um, I don't know who who, who you, you want. You want me to go first, Danny? You go first. Yeah, either, either one. Ah man, I, I you know I, I love how you put me on the spot. You know, being such a great promoter and businessman that I am. Um, you know, if I had a guess, you know, <laughs> at that time, you you know, you're really thinking as a kid. Oh, you know, oh man, you know, this guy's in dire straits we got to really pick them up but you know i i i'm gonna assume if i had to think like you which i I definitely don't have the acumen that you have um i would think that you know they just went out and you know they obviously reached out you know to you know broaden their you know their fan base i guess to you know get more uh subscriptions i guess to wwf magazine or whatever it is generate more um I, I, I believe more, you know, I guess it's fan club memberships or whatever it is, WWF magazine, you get more addresses. I, that's my opinion. Danny, I think you, I think you're right on the money. I think promoter Tommy knew that the behind the scenes <laughs> reason they sent Hogan as a way so they could capture these kids home mailing address and their that's information. Exactly. Yes. Building that database, baby. That's exactly why. Cause it might've not been, I don't even believe it was for the magazine. Well, I mean, at that point, they can market anything. But I'm sure a million fans around the world, at least a million, wrote in letters to Hulk Hogan, and they took those addresses, every single one of them, and they put it in their database. Super, super smart. Because back then, there's no Internet. There's no nothing like that. So it's snail mail as far as being able to connect with people back then. And what a better way to be able to grab the addresses of every little child around the world by having them write Hulk Hogan the letter. So that's why I love that angle so much, because I'm sure that angle in the long run made them tens of millions of dollars, and that's what it's all about. 
I can't can't argue with that. Like I said, it, uh, it makes all, all the sense in the world. But you know, I'm gonna let uh, the rest of the callers get in, guys. Uh, you, I wish you a tremendous weekend. Um, I probably won't be talking to, to you guys next weekend. Uh, next week, because I'll be away. But like I said, I'm sure uh, you guys uh, hit a tremendous topic. Uh, you guys have a wonderful weekend, and I, uh, you know, look forward to speaking to you guys shortly. Sounds have a great one, man. Thank you so much. So with that being said, Tommy. You want to give the address where people can send a self-addressed, a self-addressed envelope to uh, the Rick Recon fan club, or should we save Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah, you, can, you can send your letters <laughs> to ISPW Wrestling, P.O. Box 255. That's in stock. Hey, what are you laughing, brother? Let me get my address out. Hey, let this, it, get it out there. For, let's, let's build that database. This could be for fan – listen to this. This could be for fan, fan uh, mail, too, for the uh, podcast. I'll tell you what. The first letter I get in the mail, I'm going to send them an ISPW T-shirt. So Ooh. everyone at home listening right now, get your I want ready, you to kid. grab a – I want you to gra- – Nick, hey, next time you come up, I'm talking. I'm going to come down to Minnesota, and I'm going to body send the shit out of you. <laughs> Let me get my damn address out. <laughs> now, the address, everyone, get a pen. It's, I, brother, you're still laughing over there. I hear you. I hear you covering up. It is ISP. I know you, you. I know how tall you are, but you know I'm a big boy myself. It is ISPW Wrestling, PO Box two five five, Stockholm, New Jersey. That's S T O C K H O L M, New Jersey zero seven four six zero. Attention, eighties wrestling, the podcast. Everyone that sends a letter, I'm gonna. I tell you, I make it one even better. It won't be the first one I get because if someone from New Jersey sends me a letter, I'm going to get it tomorrow. Everyone that sends me a letter between now and next Thursday that says they like the podcast, whatever it may be, I'm going to put everyone's name in a bowl, and I'm going to pick out a winner next Thursday, and they're going to, I'm going to send them an ISW shirt and maybe even another special treat on me from the Wrestling Collective Jumping Jay. Now, now you may now you may laugh at me and speak. No, it's a great, it's a great idea, man. It is a fantastic idea. I love that you're doing that. Uh, and if you want to call Tommy, his personal cell phone is. I won't give that out. We'll stop. We'll stop at the mailing address. Well, well you could. Well, you could get about before the next call though. If you're on TikTok, you could follow ISPW Wrestling on TikTok. So uh, that that I'll give that up for that. Look at who knew that a young Tommy Fierro would learn so much from the Hogan Earthquake feud. Here he is, so many years later, putting those same <laughs> marketing tactics to work for him. That's a beautiful thing. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Next up on the Wrestling Collector Slam line, it's our good friend Joe from Atlanta, Georgia. Joe, good morning, and welcome to the Hulk Hogan Conversation. Okay. Uh, I think there's no doubt that the best views were the three that came right in a row, Andre the Giant, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior. Um, I'm a, I'm going to vote. I'm going to say m- my favorite was with Andre, just considering the whole storyline, the Piper's Pits. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be m- my vote. Be. Um, uh, but here's what I got to say. I, I'm going to become Marty McFly, and I'm going to go back to the future, because I wish so bad that Hulk Hogan would have won WrestleMania six against the Ultimate Warrior, to the point where if we're trading baseball cards, I would trade Hogan beats Warrior if I had a sacrifice. Hogan lost to either Andre the Giant or Hogan lost to Macho Man. And if I'm and if I'm Whoa. Vince McMahon, <laughs> if I'm Vince McMahon rewriting history, I can kind of see how it would go because I and I would be okay with Hogan loses WrestleMania three, and uh, I I think I could I think I could take that. And just look at it and be like, well, that guy was a, a giant and he had never been beaten. And I would, I, I would understand. Or the Macho Man, I, could, I would rewrite it where Macho Man was, you know, a heel at that point. And I would say, you know, some kind of foul play comes into play. And that's just how the, the cookies crumbled. Mm. Um, but that's how badly I wish that Hogan, as I watch right now, <laughs> WrestleMania six won that match against Ultimate Warrior. And, and my point is that the buildup of Hulkamania was so big, and, and I was just the perfect age, that I was so invested as a Hulkamaniac, 
and the defeat of somebody coming in new just crushed me, guys. It crushed me. <laughs> that's a, that's um, a very I, interesting I, take that you would trade WrestleMania three for WrestleMania six. That's that's interesting to me, man. I like that. I like the idea of yeah, trading what, victories, but man, that's a big one. Yep. And um, now as an adult, here's my new favorite feud, and I want any of your listeners to potentially um, do what I did, but I recently heard about the whole Richard Belzer thing. So what the Richard Belzer story was, Richard Belzer in, was a talk show host around mm-hmm. WrestleMania 1, and Mr. T came on the show, and Hulk Hogan puts like a chin lock on Richard Belzer, this tall, skinny TV show host, and in real life accidentally hurts the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did become a lawsuit, and I I recently watched that, and I'm like, you know, I I I am like, it was a, to me, it was a true mistake, and it was a bad mistake, and uh, but yeah, for any of your listeners, go YouTube Richard Belzer and Hulk mm-hmm. Hogan and Mr. T, because <laughs> if you don't know about that, I just found out about that a few months ago, so that's a, that's a feud there. <laughs> that was a lawsuit feud in real life. Um, yeah, that was a big a, deal when that happened. Yeah. And then now I liked um, Tommy's question to Babyface Brian about, uh, you know, what was your first piece of memorabilia? As a kid, I had the Hulk Hogan tank top with the tears in it. There's a picture of me somewhere where I was wearing that thing. Um, here's some. Here's I'm, here's the funny stuff. I would because I couldn't tear a T-shirt. What I would do is I would go to the grocery store and get make sure my mom got plastic grocery bags and I would cut the bottom of the plastic grocery bag because I could turn it into a tank top. You can picture the handles <laughs> of a plastic grocery bag at your yep. shoulders and I would tear that thing. <laughs> and uh true, true story. I was a blonde kid and I took the scissors and tried to attempted to cut my top of my head bald and my parents found me and it really just ended up being a really bad haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, that is that. that's amazing, Joe. I, I appreciate that. A, a a young boy with self-inflicted male pattern baldness wearing a plastic grocery bag is an image that I will carry with me. So thank you, Joe. You're welcome. Take care, guys. Have a good, great weekend. Hey, you too. Hey, listen, Tommy, you're a you're a promoter. You're always looking for the next big idea. If the WWF would have produced tearaway shirts for kids. Can you imagine how many they would have gone through? That's not oh, a bad idea. Man, you know, an bad, easily man. terrible shirt. Kids would have been ripping them off one after another. Oh man, you're you're talking about you're talking about millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. I mean when we talked we had this conversation about a month ago where we were talking about if they could have uh they could have did the replica title belts back then mm-hmm. not the foam ones but like real ones like they do now man they they probably had a billion dollars i mean all, every kid in the world would want one of hulk hogan's belts to have on their shelves uh but yeah that's another one man they could have figured out a way to i mean it's a little weird that they figured out a way how to have hulk hogan bubble bath but not a hulk hogan rip away shirt you know right yeah yeah that remember, remember the two pack remember the two pack they had of uh I believe it was Hogan and Ricky Steamboat soap together, a two-pack of soap. Man, yeah. Back then, I mean, they would put their marketing machine behind just about any product. Um, but, yeah, you could take a bath with, with Hulk Hogan bubble bath, but you couldn't rip your shirt and have it, you know. I mean, even with Velcro, they could have made a Velcro front where you could rip it and then put it back together and rip it and put it back together. Man, maybe a missed opportunity. Who knows? We're going to keep this conversation rolling because we only got a few minutes left. We're going to hear from a voice that we haven't heard in a little bit, but I can tell you this, our, uh, our ratings are about to go through the roof, Tommy, because it's time for Toto with Tom. Good morning, Toto with Tom. Yes, the bringer of ratings, the five-star caller, the originator of Toto a Day, and now you can add to it the first caller from the state of Maine. There what you is, go. Total, total, total yeah. Tom took his talents to Maine, huh? Yeah, I'm not like Danny from Butler. I go on vacation. I still call into this godforsaken show. <laughs> well, we, well, we appreciate your time, Total with Tom. Talk, talk to us about Hogan's greatest feuds, in your opinion. Well, it was early on when Hogan won the title, and I was following professional wrestling. So it was a couple of title switch. 
right? I saw Iron Sheik beat Backlund, and that's mm. right around the time I started watching. Then I saw Hogan win. Um, so I have to be honest. Uh, I, the first couple of uh, opponents for him didn't, you know, uh, raise the meter with me, Mass Superstar and David Schultz, but I got to tell you who did. Big John Stud. I actually thought this guy had a chance to beat Hogan. And the way they programmed the events back in the early 80s, at least when watching from Madison Square Garden on a monthly basis, is Hogan would take on his opponent and the first match would be inconclusive. It'd probably end in a disqualification. Second match would end in a countout. And then the third match, there would either be a stipulation like a lumberjack or a steel cage or what have you, and Hogan would finally prevail. They would, they would you know, stretch out the uh, feuds mm-hmm. that way. Big John Studd was the one guy that I actually thought as a kid could beat Hogan because Hogan pretty much dwarfed everyone else. So in order for me to get on board that Hogan had a chance to lose the title, someone had to be bigger. And Big John Studd was that guy, at least at first. I mean, obviously, Andre wasn't on the radar because he was a face. Um, and Bundy, you know, later on came. And Bundy didn't scare me as much as Big John Studd because over Hogan. Um, mm-hmm. So that, for me, is like Hogan's most underrated feud. I like that. Tommy, I, like, I like an underrated feud. Tommy, you did an excellent job promoting ISPW next Friday night. So excellent that I went and got front row seats for West Milford while you were uh, talking about it. That's awesome, man. Thank you very much. So what's your, what's your, uh, you're a diehard ISW fan. Anyone in this tournament uh, could possibly pull it out. Who's your, who are you going with for the, uh, the tournament next week? I have a soft spot for Richard Holiday because I think not only is it a great story, but I think my opinion if it wasn't for what happened to him in the past year, I think he'd already be wrestling on a major TV uh, network right now, uh, like AEW or Ring of Honor. The size, he has the charisma, he has the work rate, and he's great on the mic. Remember, this guy was a tag team partner of MJF when they were at the promotion MLW. A lot of people thought that Holiday was actually you know, the leader of that tag team, and it's unfortunate what happened with him. I missed him from ISPW, and that would be my pick for this Friday night. I know he has a tough, tough first round matchup against Crowbar. That's what I was about to say. I was about to chime in. We're actually doing a poll on ISW Wrestling's Facebook page right now, and Crowbar has a, a huge, huge lead over everyone with over probably half the field, and that's the thing. Uh, Richard Holiday is a fantastic uh, performer, but he's, he's in there against who's the guy that's been the, literally the heart and soul of ISPW uh, this past year, the matches he's been putting on, and he's by far the most popular, uh, not only with ISW fans, but I think every fan uh, in this area, so it's going to be an interesting match. It's a main event match right in the first round. Another interesting one, Tom, since you, you know your ISW history is Justin Carino against Bull James in the first round. Two former ISW heavyweight champions going at it. So this would be this would be a real fun one, man. I promise, real fun one. Don't forget Leo Sparrow because Leo Sparrow actually had a match about a month ago against the AEW champion MJF, and I was at that card. And Leo, jumping Jim, and I tell you, he was three seconds away from becoming AEW champion. He was that close. He was hmm. that close. Yeah, he's definitely one of the dark horses as well. So, yeah, man, looking forward to next week's show very much so. All right, gentlemen. I got to get back in vacation in the state of Maine. So, uh, look forward to seeing you guys uh, Friday. Or next Friday. Yes, sir. We'll see you then, man. Thank you. Well, there you go. Even on vacation, Toto Tom will call in and, and shed some light on the conversation we're having. Uh, in, interesting take on Leo Sparrow. I'll be honest with you. I didn't want to break it to, to Toto Tom, but isn't everybody always three seconds away from winning a match? Unless it's you, unless you're working kick on Monday, then you're five seconds away. That's true. <laughs> well said. Then you're five seconds away. Uh, and we are about five minutes away from wrapping up, but we got a guy 
who's been hanging on the slam line, waiting to share with us his favorite Hulkamania feud. And so we're going to jump to that call next. Let me see here. He may have just hung up, Tommy. But he's been replaced with another call just like that. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to talk to Jason from Texas. Jason, how you doing? Welcome to the conversation. Hey, what's going on, fellas? I, uh, I, hey, I, saw, I saw real quick Hulk Hogan's picture on all the social media, and I was like, uh-oh, here we go. I'm calling in again. <laughs> well, anyway, we're glad uh, you did, brother. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you guys. In fact, Tommy, I just, I literally just put my uh, my letter in the mailbox to be picked up today. So uh, putting, I'm putting the notice. I'm putting the notice out. I'm putting the notice out that, to all man. the other callers that uh, that there's competition. So uh, it is nice. what it is. But in typical Danny from Butler fashion, he stole my thunder with earthquake because. I was one of those kids that wrote a, a, a get well soon letter to Hulk Hogan after he got, you know, earthquakes on brother love and uh little eight year old Jason was, uh, you know, heartbroken at the time. And I was still, I was still upset that the ultimate warrior won at WrestleMania. And uh, <laughs> it was, you know, in an era before we even had uh purview access in the city of Chicago. So, that was back when I had to, you know, wait for the VHS, the Coliseum video to hit my local video store so I could try to rent it and hope that I was the lucky one that got there, you know, when it was available and it wasn't already checked out. So uh, it took a little while to watch, you know, WrestleMania 6 and SummerSlam 90 and all of that because I couldn't watch it live. Um, I don't think it was until about 1993 or 4 that Chicago Cable finally got access um, to pay-per-view. And so, you know, from that point on, obviously I was begging my parents for the, you know, 50 bucks or whatever it was, you know, four or five times a year at that time. And, uh, but anyway, earthquake to me was, you know, a, a typical monster heel of the day, big guy, quick, really good worker, all of those kinds of things. But he just had this persona, like he was meaner than could be. And I know John Tenta was actually a really nice guy and all that, but um, his Earthquake character, I mean, he just looked like he didn't like anybody other than maybe Jimmy Hart and Dino Bravo. And, um, you know, I went to uh, my first live house show at the Rosemont Horizon shortly before SummerSlam, and the main event was Earthquake and Bravo against, I think it was Hacksaw and Tugboat. So that was kind of neat to see that. Uh, the only thing that I wish they would have done was following up from that. And I realized the Persian Gulf War and Sergeant Slaughter and all that came into play. But I really wish they would have used Tugboat's heel turn into Typhoon as another angle for that earthquake feud with Hogan to continue. I just feel like they really dropped Fred Ottman's, um, you know, kind of position right at that moment. And, it stinks. I mean, I know they went on to win tag team gold and that sort of thing, but, um, you know, I feel like they could have done more with that, you know, big betrayal that, you know, took place and such. So anyway, that was the one that right away, you know, piqued my interest and I know we're up against the clock, so I'll let you guys go, but love everything you guys do as always. And thanks. Hey, thank you, Jason. We appreciate you weighing in today. And yeah, that earthquake one, uh, it's gotta be up there in the top. 10 for sure when you talk about feuds with Hulk Hogan because it did make such a lasting impression if you were watching the product at that time. So I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and of course, you know, they had my home address then as a result. <laughs> and now Tommy does too, Jason. Just... Yeah, and actually, you know what? Now that I think about it, it's not the only time that they had my home address because I had a WWF magazine subscription. I yep. had... Uh, I was a member of the fan club, and the only reason I signed up for the fan club as a kid was with some birthday money one year uh, because I wanted – you got a free gift in the mail, and part of that free gift was the WWF The Music cassette tape. So I, I wanted to be able to play entrance music while I had my Hasbros in hand because right. if I was playing – if I was – yeah, if I was doing WrestleMania or SummerSlam or something, you know, in my little uh, plastic blue WWF ring at the time, 
I had to make sure that, uh, you know, that I had some music to go with it. That's awesome, man. I just love, I love all those feels when you start talking about the old school toys like that. That's awesome. <laughs> Take care, Brett, guys. I'll uh, talk with you soon. Sounds good. Thank Take you, care, man. I don't know if there's a bad. I mean, if I reverse the question on you, Tommy, is there a bad Hulk Hogan feud that you remember? Well, listen, I'm sure, I'm sure that we can uh, sit down and scratch our head for a minute or two and probably come up with a couple. Uh, but uh, 9.9 times out of 10, anything involving Hulk Hogan turned into a lot of money for the company. So I don't, I don't think that it really mattered who he was with. Like I said, you got Bobby Heenan. I mean, at one point they were feeding him everyone from Hercules Hernandez to King Kong Bunny to Big John Studd to Harley Race. Anyone that was associated with uh, Bobby Heenan was feeding with uh, Hogan. And, and back in the previous caller brought up a good point also back then they would stretch it out for three months as back then they did house shows every mm-hmm. month. It wasn't like it was now where they come to the market once a year. So in January they'd have a match to be a count out in February disqualification. And like he said, the third and final time would be a, a lumberjack match or a steel cage match or a, a special stipulation to get the people back into the building for the third month in a row to see the, you know, the conclusion of this match. But yeah, man, I don't think anything involving Hogan, it, it's always money. And at the end of the day, that's what this business is all about. That's right, man. And more often than not, Hogan had the last, the last spot on a big card, the main event, the last one to go through the curtain. And today, the last one to come through our curtain is good friend Fitzy. Welcome back, Fitzy. Welcome to the Hulk Hogan Greatest Feud Conversation. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, that guy kind of all stole my thunder because I started watching wrestling at WrestleMania 6. I was first introduced to it. And I was going to say the same thing about Earthquake. There was something about him sitting on mm-hmm. Hogan's chest at such a young age that was so believable. And I bought it, hook, line, and sinker. And I was just sucked in and, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was the right age, the right time I was viewing it, but it was really impactful. And uh kind of shook me. Listen, I'll tell you, Fitzy, the, the, the visual of him sitting on Hogan's chest and then that line in Hogan's theme song that when it talks about when it all comes crashing down on you, I remember them pairing that visual with that line in the song. Like, they matched it up in the montage, and that struck a chord with me as a young fan as well. I was like, this is it. Hogan's, Hogan's chest is collapsed. He'll never come back from this. And so, yeah, it was a very powerful visual. Definitely was. Definitely shook me. And uh, I love Earthquake because, man, that guy could move that huge body around. He could do some stuff. That was great. I guess if we're looking for another one that sticks in my head, I would maybe go Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Yeah, especially if we're... That one seems to resonate from, like, Survivor Series times-ish. Yes, absolutely. 100% it does. That WrestleMania 7, man, that was... was that was gigantic uh, with, with uh, I mean, I mean, we all know the backstory how Slaughter, you know, turned on America during the time of everything going wrong, <laughs> going uh, wrong in this world. I mean, it was, took a lot of balls to be able to, to do that storyline. But, yeah, I, I don't think that's the thing. Like, there's so many unbelievable matches and moments and angles and feuds that Hogan had during that run that you, you forget something as simple as, the Sergeant Slaughter one. Or, and we didn't really spend too much time talking about his classic build-up to his match with Ultimate Warrior. I mean, it really wasn't a feud. It was a one-off. But the the the, the way they built it up with the, the Royal Rumble and then the tag team match, it was it was awesome stuff. But I think that's the thing. Like, there's just so many unbelievable moments and memories that you can't think of them all, at least not an hour. But, yeah, the Slaughter one definitely needs to be on the list, I would say. I'm kind of surprised that Vince doesn't kind of go that angle more and try to kind of weave more real-life kind of drama in, like now. Yeah, you wonder if political. Right, you wonder if it's now that it's a publicly traded company, if he's been advised to stay away from that. But back then, that was the recipe. If you wanted to get people hooked, you mimic what's going on in the real world and you put it in your your television set and people would be hooked and glued to that set. (sighs) You know if he goes down this transgender lane right now, he will make such a huge roar in this country that it will it'll attract money. People will be looking. I'm surprised he hasn't touched it. 
Yeah, wasn't it uh, Eric Bischoff, whose book was Controversy Creates Cash? And, yeah, sometimes if you ruffle some feathers, yeah, the dollars tend to follow. Or they might go the other way. I mean, there's been some companies that made some poor decisions recently and lost money, so who knows? Right. Yes, it just sir. seems like well, that's the perfect venue for him to kind of put it out there and see where it goes. Thanks, guys. Awesome. All right, thank you so much, man. All right, Jumpin' Jay, that's going to do it for this week's episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. You're lucky. You only ruffled my feathers a little bit earlier trying to give out that address, and you kept trying to cut me off. And you don't think that I want to get the database of all the millions of people listening to this podcast each and every week? You tried to almost prevent me from getting that. I can send them stuff on the Wrestling Collector. I can send them stuff on IHW Wrestling. I can send them stuff on 80s Wrestling Con. I can send them stuff on 90s Wrestling Con. I can give them my personal bank information if they want to send a donation. There's so many things I can do with that. And you screwed it up for me. Almost screwed it up for me, but I'm glad you didn't. Jumping Jay, I got to run the door to line to get in the story now. It's, it's going on the highway. So I hope you and everyone out there have a great <laughs> week. I hope everyone out there listening tunes in next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.